Hey, my friend, welcome to the Living a Better Story podcast. You know, sometimes we call this podcast an experience because all throughout the mass variety of amazing guests we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business growth numbers, forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. My name is Daryl Stinson, and I'm one of the content producers here. I trust that you're already living an amazing story, but whether you are or not, we are here to help you live a better one. The process is simple. No matter where you are in business or life, we are going to show you how to complete your past, tell the truth about your current reality, and empower you to live a better story. So, as you hear stories that inspire you and information that can help you, please do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast, share with others, and let us hear about the goodness that's happening in your life. All right, my friend, that's all for now. Go enjoy the episodes and get ready to swing open wide the door to unlimited opportunities. Hey, everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I am your host of the Living a Better Story podcast I have a person with me from Connecticut today. I think it's one state on planet Earth that I've not been to. I guess there's a few, but <laughs> I definitely need to make a trip there. Um, Paul Mikulski, uh, if I'm saying your last name correctly, I think I already tripped. Yeah, yeah Mahalski. How do I say your last name? <laughs> Mahalski. Thanks, Mahalski, Mahalski. Yeah, see, my, I thought Burmeister was tough, but you've got the hidden C in there. So Exactly. Outstanding. Paul is the founder of Integris. His website is Integriosity. Integriosity. And I think I'm saying that right. So you are. Pretty, you got pretty it. You cool nailed that one. concept about integrity in the workplace. And it's something that's more important, I think, than ever before. If it has if it's not apparent to you over the last couple of years, I, I you probably should just get out of bed and wake up and look around. So <laughs> <laughs> Paul Happy to have you here. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thank you, Chad. So we won't talk about Connecticut uh, until I get there and check it out for myself. What I'd like to help our audience get to know you by asking this question. If we were to ask some of your friends, colleagues, family, um, what are the three words that, that you think they might use to describe you? So, uh, Chad, I... Um... You know, I listened to a couple of your podcasts, and so I had a feeling this question was coming. And I, I, I don't like, what do you think they might? So I, I really bolstered my courage last night, and I actually asked my wife. Um, and after some negotiation, we came up with three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one, one would be principled. Um, one would, I've always felt like, I always wanted to do the right thing, and with a newfound faith in the last decade or so, it, it sort of expanded to do the right thing regardless of the personal cost. I had a, a work colleague once, an associate who was working for me, and he said, he looked at me in the eye and he said, you're John Galt, and I had no idea who John Galt was, and I said to my wife, who the heck is John Galt? And she said, oh my gosh, that's a compliment. You haven't read Ayn Rand's When Atlas Shrugged? I said, no. And so I ran off and got the book and read it. Um, but it was just about being principled. So that's one. The second is responsible slash reliable. Um, 
I, I've always believed I should do what I say, that my, my word should be my bond and that I should live up to my commitments no matter what it takes. And a third would be loyal slash faithful. I, um, I really believe, again, in living up to what I've committed to people and to, to standing behind standing behind commitments, standing behind friendships. So those would be, I think, the, the three main ones. She tossed in also tenacious, uh, if I had a fourth, but uh, I think those would be the three key ones. The image that comes to mind is a big rock when you describe those three words because <laughs> it's immovable and loyal and, you know, the winds can come in and try to take the rock down, but it ain't going anywhere. It reminds me of a Bible school that we used to go to. And, and it was like, if you build your house upon the sand, you know, versus the rock, different outcomes. Yeah. Very, wow. very different outcomes. I think yeah. I think, it, cool. I, I think the, I think the, 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 the Sign over the house might say stubborn at times, but uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet that runs in the family. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it might be running down in the family. I'm not sure if it runs <laughs> up in the family. <laughs> I love it. Um, so thinking back to when you were younger and just starting to learn, you know, your early patterns and, and your passions. What would you say, what did you love to do when you were five, six, seven years old? You know, this was, again, listening to a couple of your, of, of your podcasts, th this, was, this one really caused some reflection. Um, because I realized I don't have a lot of memories of that segment of my life. Um, I, I grew, up, grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Uh, and my mom left my father when I was five years old. Um, he had grown up in a very abusive relationship from his from him relatives, and he turned into a very abusive person. Um, and she just had to get out of it. And so it was she and I kind of moved. We had grown up in upstate New York. We moved to New York City. We moved back to upstate New York. And, and it was... Um, it, it was a happy time, but it was, a, I, I think, just a challenging time as a kid. Um, she was became a single mom back in you know 1966. Um, she had not gone to college. She was trying to kind of scrape by with the two of us. As she tells me, she said, you know, I made $65 a week, and I would have envelopes set up for put. I would get my check, and I put money into the grocery envelope and into all the different things that the rent envelope. Um, so I, I my memories really start up around age eight. Age eight is where I can look back and I start to to think about things and um, and I and I couldn't I had a hard time identifying like what was that thing that was really passionate about. Um, she said I like to ride bikes a lot. Uh, I got involved in scouting really early and pursued that with a passion. Ended up becoming an Eagle Scout uh, up at thirteen. Uh, but like riding bikes in the neighborhood, just we ride around with which with friends, and we just go. We'd go into the woods. We'd go on trails. We'd just go. 
Was um, it the kind of bike where you push backwards on the pedal and it breaks, or was yes, it a ten yes, speed? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that was no, no. It was absolutely one of the ones you push back on the pedal and you skid through the sand. <laughs> right? Did you, did you do jumps and things? No, like nothing. Before? No, 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 that, no, no that, that doesn't go. That doesn't go with that rock principle. Responsible. That's really risk. <laughs> really, really risk averse. Um, that's right. You know, I think if and uh, you know, I think if it was sort of the. In looking back on that piece of my life, um, it was, I, I think I had this fear of failure and a fear of rejection and abandonment that kind of defined a lot of, a lot of my life. Um, if I had to look back, I think if I had that, if, if that kid was looking forward and telling me something now I think he'd say just you know a simple life can be really happy because I think today it's we have a great we have a great life but it's a really complicated life you know it's a life of a lot of stuff and a lot of things living in a community where people just chase things and they chase objects and they chase trophies and um, and I think getting caught up in the idea that gosh I don't want to let my kids down I don't want to not give them all the things in the world that that I'd love to give them and it just complicates life a bit and I think that little kid might say hey you were you were really happy and you didn't have much of what the world said is the stuff that matters but you were really really happy yeah, well put. I remember New Zealand, age 19, 20, I did a study abroad program for six months. And I remember being in a car without a radio. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. But after a couple of months, you're like, "What? why do we need a radio, right? We're in the car, we're talking to friends. <laughs> and, and then the fun part was we could pick up this little mini and actually hide it behind the hill. <laughs> <laughs> there were like six of us who would pick this car up and then the people would come out of the restaurant. Where's my car? Oh, it's over on the other side of the hill. But just that feeling of, do I even need a radio? So I remember coming back and for about a year, I'm like, you know what? I just, I don't even need anything fancy for a car. I think my first car was a Malibu Classic, um, an old cop car when I was 16. And then, you know, you slowly upgrade over time. And to your point, it's like we, we put too much emphasis on the, the things and the stuff. Yeah, in our yep. lives, in, yep. in a lot of you know, ways. and I, and what it also prompted me when that question actually prompted me to look at it the other way, which was, what would I now go back and tell that kid? Mm -hmm. And what I have now that I didn't have back then was a was just a profound faith in God, and I think I would have go back and tell that kid, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid. There is a God who loves you unconditionally. There is a God who will never leave you or forsake you. And there is a God who is with you all the time. So just just relax and don't be so driven. I think I was very, I, I mean, eight years old. At eight years old, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why. I have no idea why. No one in the family had gone to college, didn't know any lawyers. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to go to Harvard College. And I wanted to go to Harvard Law School. I have no idea where any of that came from. And those became the focuses of my life and just aiming, aiming at those things. And at 15, at 15, I actually decided the law firm I wanted to work at after I had 
achieve those other those other goals. So it was a very driven life, and and I think the older me would go back and just say, don't be so focused. Enjoy the journey more, and don't just don't just drive to these goals and trying to sort of perform and achieve and and avoid failure and rejection. Mm. Okay, this next one I want to kind of add a nuance to it. So a lot of times when I ask about a traumatic event that people face in their lives, it's like, oh yeah, the head-on car accident I was in, or oh yeah, I had COVID in September. Let me tell you how bad that got on day seven, right? Like things that are just above threshold and you can see them and everyone else can see them. Um, What I'm hoping we could do is, is there something like your dad leaving or, you know, your mom leaving your dad at that point? That's an above threshold kind of a traumatic thing that happens. Is there anything that you can now recognize looking back that's maybe under the surface Right, not the tip of the iceberg, but the ninety percent that's buried. That you go, you know what? That was actually a traumatic moment. And I'll share one example with you. There's a gentleman who runs a Christian broadcasting network, and he. I asked him this question recently, and 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 I know he's legally blind now. So one would think that would be the one he brings up every time. It's like, yeah, well, let me tell you when I went legally blind and the pros and cons of it, and how I got through it. But he doesn't. He talks about. Uh, something about his dad, funny enough. Um, And he's like, and it was, oh, I know what it was. It was, I didn't get the piano that I really wanted. And that was my passion. And I would have done anything for that piano. I didn't get it. And so it caused this lifelong sort of regret that he didn't get it. And at some point, he kind of went out and did it on his own. Um, But that was the hidden traumatic event that caused an interesting ripple through his life and then caused him to be the person that he is. So sometimes it's one of those things that it feels really painful at the time, but becomes amazing. Any of those come to the surface for you? Mm. You know, it's, if it happened, I fear that if it happened back at that age, it's probably buried somewhere. Um, but the the biggest one, I mean, the most the most traumatic thing that happened, and it really is the thing that actually transformed my entire life. It completely changed my life. Happened on October fifth, two thousand and three, um, and that was when God just hit me over the head with a with a sledgehammer and woke me up because. You know, I, I had I had achieved all those things that I had set out to achieve at eight years old. I had gone to Harvard College, even though they told me that they didn't accept kids from this little town, got into Harvard Law School, got a job at that law firm I identified at 15, became a partner in that law firm. Although I do, I remember sitting, you know, interestingly, when you talk about these moments, I remember sitting in a desk that very first day in my big desk in my big office with a big leather chair and thinking, is this it? Is this, I mean, my entire life has been about getting into this chair. Is this, it should, there should be fireworks. There should be something else happening. And it was the, I had this realization in that moment that it was the first time in my life I didn't have a goal that I was aiming for 
anymore. Um, but so on the surface, I had, I had this great life. I had a fantastic career, partner in a large law firm. We lived in Connecticut in a beautiful home. I had a you know, f fantastic wife. We had two kids, one boy, one girl, healthy. So it was a life that, you know, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, I'll take it. I'd trade, I'd trade for that. I'd, I'd take that, that life. But on the inside, behind the walls, our marriage was in a slow death spiral. And I didn't even know it, or I didn't want to see it. Uh, my wife was desperately unhappy. She was desperately lonely. And it came to a crashing realization on October 5th, 2003. We went to church that day. I reached out to take her hand and she pulled it away. And that night we tucked the kids in the bed and I said, so, you know, you pulled your hand away today. Is something wrong? And her words were simply this. I don't know where to start. I'm not happy. And I can't go on like this. Not dramatic words, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I just, I broke down. I mean, I was so clueless as to her unhappiness that she had made the conscious decision to emotionally check out of our a relationship nine months earlier, and I never noticed. Hmm. I was not present. I mean, I was so focused on my work. I kind of grew up believing that if you were a good provider, you were by definition a good husband and a good father. And I was providing really well. I had my priorities completely upside down. And I would come home after a long day. I would go to work before the kids got up, come home after they went to bed. And the last thing, honestly, the last thing I wanted to do was listen to her day. And she, I was just not present and she was alone. So in that moment, when she said those words, three things happened to me. One is I saw a film reel go by in my head and it was a film reel of what I imagined my future would be with our kids and our future with her and growing old together. And there was this just overwhelming feeling that it wasn't going to happen. The second thing that happened is I, I in that moment, saw this and, and understood that this was this was a problem. This was a circumstance that I was not going to be able to fix with the three tools that I had controlled my world, which for me were hard work, intelligence, and money. Those were my control tools, and I just had a feeling this they weren't going to work. And the third thing, thankfully, is I had did something that I had not done in a long, long time. Is I cried out to God to help me. Um, and that moment, that 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 time changed the rest of my life through a series of coincidences two weeks later I found myself in a group called the New Canaan Society it's a Christian men's fellowship group my faith was a you know was a very shallow faith at that point and I showed up and these men started to teach me about Jesus and his promises and God's promises and who I was meant to be as a husband and a father and taught me that you know God says he hates divorce and he will never leave me or forsake me he loves me unconditionally he would never let me go through something that I couldn't handle and that nothing is impossible with God and I began to just grow in a, a brand new faith that I never had before because I had to and it was the only thing I could cling to 
at that time as as I really saw this house of cards I'd built, this beautiful house of cards about to collapse and losing the people I loved most in the world, even though I wasn't very good at, at showing it to them. Hmm. Um, wow, that's super compelling. Um, the song I just keep playing over and over while you're telling me these words are Seek First the Kingdom, the new Elevation uh, CD, which is amazing. And it just keeps playing over. Seek first the kingdom and all will be granted. That's it. And it's like, if you just follow the simple truth, how amazing things can be. Like if you're having a hard day or a year or life, what does it hurt to just give that a try for a, a one prayer? Yeah. Like it's yeah. not that big of an ask. Right? I mean, I can't. I've lost count of the number of people whose lives have been transformed because, in a moment of desperation, they said this: "God, if you're real, now would be a really good time to show me." Boom! <laughs> yeah, and it's just amazing how that it, he just comes in like a like a hurricane just needs the needs the yeah. invitation yeah. and uh, and you know and we have to figure it out ourselves and unfortunately um we can be really thick and i can be really thick and it takes it it takes a, a, a massive sledgehammer to wake to wake you up sometimes and it, it took a massive sledgehammer to wake me up but it, well it i alluded to the uh covid situation in september of last year and by day seven i, I think stubbornness runs in my family um, so I was day seven, 72 oxygen. Every other night Ooh. was 90 plus, And it went down at 3 a.m. and my wife's in the other room. And so I'm wow. checking the little pulse thing and the nebulizer sitting on the floor and the tunnel started coming in. And I could only see down the tunnel. And I was like, okay, God, I could hardly even talk. Right? I was like, God, oh, man. So I finally get out and go do the nebulizer. I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, God, if this is it, I'm yours. Like, take mm. me. It's okay. I was, I was ready to kind of surrender the flame. Um, and, wow. and, then, and then God taps me on the shoulder. I go throw up about a half ounce. And then I felt immediately better and transformed. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like going on a cruise ship and throwing up or something. <laughs> and so I did get to fall asleep. But what happened in that moment is just like the October 5th thing that you're talking about. I was like, if I'm ready to transfer eternity to my wife to run the family, then why am I trying to scorecard out the level of awesomeness that we have together? It's like, we're, yeah. we're, we should be inseparable. It's not what value did you add and what value did I add? It's, it's the combined whole. Um, and and yeah, so I think that good, was a similar awakening. That's a good word. In September that's, last a, year. that's a good word. That's a good word. It reminds me of a story. I just heard someone, a woman tell the story where she was similarly kind of at death's door. And she said, I said to my husband, she said, if I die, don't you go and pray and bring me back or I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that is something else. Well, we all get to the other side someday. It's just a matter of when. So yep. at the end of the day, if it was my time, it was my time. It's your time. And if it's not, it's, if it's not, it's not. Yeah. Okay, so if we, we kind of 
talked about this a little bit, um, but going, you know, thinking back to that date, there was the fork in the road and you chose the road less traveled. Um, how, how are things today? Obviously, you, you, you chose a path and uh, from where I'm sitting, I think you probably made the right choice. Yeah, no, I, I, there's no question that I made, the, I made the right choice. And, you know, it was a, I learned a lot of lessons in the process because it was a difficult, the, the following year was a difficult year. It, it got a lot worse before it got better. And it, you know, it really got to a place where people were saying, you know, give up. It's impossible. It's hopeless move on with your life it's just easier she's moved on you should move on with your life and part of that sort of stubbornness part of that rockness perhaps um, I was just believing and I just said I, I just I'm going to believe God for what these promises are and each time I would hear give up it's hopeless it's impossible God would show up in some way to just show me in a way that I would understand, no, don't, don't give up, don't quit, don't, don't give up. I think that, um, and the lesson I learned was, so often, so often I think we give up on the brink of success. That we give up just at that last moment. I, I heard a story once about you know Chuck Yeager, the guy who broke the sound barrier. That he was that he was not the first person to try. That. When he, when the plane was approaching the speed of sound, it began to shake and shake violently. And the thing that separated him from the other pilots who'd tried was he didn't quit when it was felt like the plane was about to fall apart. And and the, right as he broke through the sound barrier, it's just peace and peace and quiet. Hmm. Um, and I think the most dramatic, um, you know, the most dramatic way that God showed up, and it it. It's a definitely we've had definitely fell in the miracles category. As I had a, I was meeting with a group of men on a Friday morning, and one of the men said, "You know, I, I there's a Bible verse that that I think speaks to you, and I want you, to, you know, just you should go home and pray about it and see if it's something that speaks to you. And if it is, we'll we'll pray together next week when we get together in our little group." And it was Jeremiah. 24 and it was about a, the, there are two baskets of figs good figs and the bad figs and and God says that he will um, the good figs are the Israelites and he will give them a heart to know them again as his Lord and he said I think I'm praying for that for your wife well I came home and I opened my Bible and I read the verse and I remember he told me this one other thing he said you know you may feel silly but go out to the to the door of your house and just invite Jesus in because he's actually alive and he's real and it's just your sign to him that that it's real and I said so I prayed about this 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 passage and again this is all kind of new to me and I thought oh I forgot the door thing so I went out to the side door of our house and and I went to open it up and and I closed my eyes and when I closed my eyes there was a huge white figure standing outside the door when I opened my eyes, I couldn't see him. When I closed my eyes, I could see him. And I realized when my eyes were closed, I could also see everything. I could see the whole room. I could see everything. So I opened the door and he walked in the room. He walked in, his arms were held up high and no, there was no face, didn't say a word, just walked into the house. And he proceeded to walk upstairs and our kids were in a room, in a playroom with a nanny and 
he walked in there and they said, oh, hi, Daddy. And I thought, all right, they don't see him. And he just walked through every room in our house with his hands lifted up and walked back to my office where I'd started. And I sat in my chair, same chair I'm sitting in right now, and I just, I had my eyes open and I closed them again and I saw him standing right in front of me and I just fell on the floor and wrapped my arms around his ankles and just wept. Um, and the next week I went back to that group and they said, so did the passage speak to you at all? And I said, yeah, sort of. But it was, even at that point, she had filed for divorce. I mean, things were really looking bad and, and people were saying, forget, give up. And that was to me, you know, no, just believe me, believe me. Just keep going. Wow. That's so, so compelling. It's never happened again. Nothing like that has ever happened again. Hmm. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning, so I had, you know, I was not drunk. <laughs> <laughs> There's no booze or alcohol in Wow, that's so cool. The, the night my son was born, he was three weeks early, and I woke up and I could open my eyes and see a woman in a white gown floating above the bed. And I stared for two or three minutes and I'd never met my wife's mother. And I, I really believed it was an angel. And I believed, and I was just staring in awe, like, wow. wow. And then I finally go back to bed and then wife wakes me up. Hey, my water broke. I'm like, yeah, of course it did. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably, I could tell you just about what time too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was about two and a half hours ago. Let's go. You know, it's like 2 a.m. We're headed off to the hospital. Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach, California. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that was neat. Um, and then I saw God another time. He was a, he was a bit angered and the trees outside my parents' house, uh, this was not too long ago, um, January last year. So I'm staying at my folks' house for a couple of days. Um, we were in the process of moving and uh, the trees were just violently aggressive. And I've, I grew up in that house, so I'd never seen anything like it to the point where my parents even the next day for breakfast were like, did you see the trees blowing last night? And it was just, it was like God was angry with the world. It mm. wasn't me. It was yeah. just like, yeah. just showing that Chad, you're you need to stay the course, and you're a part of this. Was the message that I came out with. Wow. And uh, it's just, it's amazing how some people hear him. You saw him. Um, you just have to have an open mind, and then it's a, he'll show up. Yeah, and, and I think, and really, if you, if you really believe that there are no coincidences, if you really believe that things just aren't accidents, and you begin to actually look at the little things, and I, for me, it was looking back on my life now with perspective and seeing, like, I don't think the angels, I don't think angels have to be white figures floating over beds or cribs. I, I mean, right. I believe that angels show up as the most unlikely people and I recently did an inventory and I, I, I shared with a group about what I called my, you know, we have these kid, kids have BFFs. I called them my BFAs, my but for angels, the people who came at some point in my life and but for their intervention in some way, my life would have taken a different path. 
and I look back and just to think about, and I think everybody, if they actually took the time to look back, say there aren't accidents, this is not just a happenstance, who were the people that showed up and said something, did something, and it changed the path that I was on? And I think there, I think we come up with a lot of them. Right, and then how do we look in the mirror and take that uh, for what it for face value and say, okay, how can I play a similar role in someone else's life? Absolutely, absolutely. And you don't see, you know, and and you're doing it. In fact, you're doing it every day, and you just don't often see the ripples of the pond. Don't you often don't know. See it. You just do not know the, the lives that have been impacted because you touch somebody who touched somebody, who touched somebody. Um, and one day, I think one day we'll know. I think one day we'll see what that, you know, what that did. Um, but to get back to your question, it was it the right path. So uh, God miraculously turned my wife's heart around in 24 hours in November of 2004. And it was, what was fascinating is, it was these bookends of faith that the journey began with me taking a leap of faith that God was who his word said he was. And at the end, it was my wife taking a leap of faith that God could actually, God could actually restore a healthy marriage rather than just what appeared to be the only earthly choice was a bad marriage or no marriage. And so it was those two leap of faith leap of faith bookends that actually brought us back together and you know thank god our kids our, our, our kids have had a a family that was intact for 18 years since that time happened so hmm. and they're now you know they're now grown and and one's out of college one's in college but uh, they were you know they were tiny at the time so i mean they had, it was uh, five and five and three did you always have faith through your journey or obviously it, it strengthened around those times 2003 but was it always there for you no i mean i always believe in god and but i i i grew up in a you know i grew up in a catholic tradition was an altar boy from 8 to 18 but when i and it was a church it was a polish church and the masses were said in Polish three Sundays a month and English one Sunday a month. And I didn't speak Polish. So I didn't get a lot of theology out of the, the services. Um, it was community. For me, church was community. It was a place where it was a second family. And this was particularly important when you think about with my mom and I moving back to the, the town where she grew up. And it was the two of us and my grandparents. And this was this, this church family. So for me, a church was a place where when, when something wonderful happened in somebody's life, everybody would go downstairs and have cake and coffee and celebrate. And if something tragic happened in somebody's life, everybody would go downstairs, have cake and coffee and console them and, be to, and sit with them. So church to me was community. Um, it was, when I went away to college, it was very easy to become just a Christmas and Easter worshiper. And so I... I was able to pursue my education and pursue my career um, com completely unburdened by any thought of what faith might have to do with anything that, that I was doing. Um, so it was it was nominal at best, but I always I did always believe in God, but I didn't really have the foundation of really understanding a relationship with God. 
or even understanding kind of who God would be and is and says he is and, and really does come through as. Mm. Very amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. Sure. Um, I have to imagine the people that you sit across from to work with them on their lives and businesses and marriage and relationship with their kids. What t- tell us a little bit about in- Integris and, and what is it that you, you know, what what's your day in the life look like? Sure. So in te- so I spent I spent 23 years practicing corporate transactional law in a large Wall Street law firm. And in 2009, God made clear to my wife and I that he had a different plan for my life and that I was meant to leave. So I walked away, not, but without knowing what that plan was. And I, uh, I arrogantly said, well, God, I'll give you six months to show me what's next before I try to figure it out myself. And about the six-month point, I, I really kind of heard a voice inside say, um, it's my time, it's not your time. And it really became, that six months was really 10 years. It was 10 years of the journey of becoming involved in the faith and work movement. It was becoming involved in marketplace ministry and the New Canaan Society, that this group that had come around me. Um, and it, there were a few prophetic words that occurred that I ignored for several years until they hit me over they, they hit me over the head and got me onto the track that God had had me had intended for this. And it finally sort of coalesced and I realized that it was in, Integris was what I was meant to do. Now Integris is a law firm, but with a very, very narrow focus. I say it's about helping advising faithful leaders how to lead faithfully. It is about advising business leaders and organizations on how to integrate their business into their faith. What can they do? What can't they do? Help them think through the process of, I think there's a whole spectrum of you can be very covert about it, or you can be very overt about it, and there's not a right or wrong answer. There's just the right answer for where you happen to be in your own journey, in your own industry, in your own circumstances, but help them find the right place and begin to get it on that road. And then as they're, as they're making decisions and as they're involved in things, to be a resource with the sole purpose of helping them think through the decision they're about to make, the transaction they're about to enter into, the dispute they may be involved in from the standpoint of their faith and the mission and the values of the organization to help them make sure that they are who they say they want to be, their company is what they claim it is, and that they can maintain that integrity. Because I think in the midst of it, it's very hard to step back emotionally when you're wrapped up in a, in a business transaction to step back and ask yourself those questions if there's not somebody who can help you think that through. And, and I'm 100% certain that the advice that they would get from their regular lawyers and bankers and advisors and financial advisors and accountants is going to be absolutely devoid of any consideration of who they are, who they are as a person of faith and what they said they, they want their company to stand for. So that is what Integris is, is about, is just helping people in that journey. Wow. You know, it's, it's funny because on my business card, I worked with a business coach for about the last 12, 14 weeks. So my company we recently went through a rebrand. It's called X-Human for Exponentially Human. 
Ah. Well, if you tip it, there's a hidden cross in there, so don't oh. tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but then on the back is the nonprofit side, Living a Better Story, this podcast and the event that we do once a quarter. And so the, the two have come together in a business card, right? Front to back. So when you get me, you get both sides of the card. I love it. And I love and, the name. Yeah. I love Living a Better Story. I really love the name of your podcast. Well, that was gifted from a gentleman named Eric uh, Donovan from Paradium, which mm. helps people with how do they transfer wealth generations down. And he, his view is you're responsible for your kids and the kids' kids. Past that, it's not your responsibility anymore. <laughs> two, de- two generations. <laughs> <laughs> two generations. May, he might go to the third. I can't remember. I might be getting it off. But um, but he really, he, you know, he was using living a better story, and he and he just, I said, hey, can I use that? And he was like, yeah, of course. You know, and he had to rebrand some things on his website um, because he was on that theme. And we just talked a couple weeks ago and he was like, hey, I was happy when you picked that up. It was God telling me that it's my time to change themes and do something different. That's great. That's great. Because we all live a story and and we all can live a better story. Yes. So last legal thing, uh, (laughs) I was involved in some cancel culture media stuff. And God was telling me throughout, forgive them, they know not what they do. Mm. And fast forward, I, I ended up, I'm the plaintiff in a couple of different cases and I'm, and I'm struggling with that. So the, that type of topic is precisely, right? What are my upsides? What are my downsides? Does it fit with my values and vision and mission? Yep. And if Jesus were in the room, what would he do in that case? And there's Bible verses, I'm sure that yep. would play both sides of that. Like, yep. hey, let, let Jesus do his thing because Half of me saying, hey, you don't want this to happen to other people. And so it's kind of your responsibility to take, t- you know, take the brow beatings and, and just do yep. it. Yep. Other people don't. Yep. Ha- my, my attorney is like, Chad, for every one of you, there's a thousand that don't do it. And so I have to kind of play the role of the lion. The other side is, man, God was telling me when those trees were blowing that night, forgive them for they know not what they do. So. These are the types of topics I would expect that you would be very yes, beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right, Chad. Exactly right. Awesome. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, it's Integriosity, I-N-T-E-G-R-I-O-S-I-T-Y.com. And it's for Integris LLC. Uh, what an amazing conversation, Paul. Thanks so much for sharing all of your stories. Thank you, today. Chad, for the opportunity. Amazing. As they say in church on Sunday morning when I was growing up, go in peace, serve the Lord. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Living a Better Story. We hope that today's show has inspired you to cultivate a better understanding of yourself so you can discover your God-given purpose and start living a better story. For the show notes, visit livingabetterstory.org forward slash podcast, where you can also find other helpful resources. Connect with us and join us again next time for another purposeful show.